Hey, what's up, everybody? This is The Greatest Show on Dirt, coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios, Thursday, October 19th, 2017. This is the night of Game 5 of the NLCS, and currently the Cubs are losing to the Los Angeles Dodgers 9-1. to I don't even know what to say about this. It is the bottom of the fifth, two outs, Clayton Kershaw's pitching really good. Maybe his only good postseason pitching performance. I tweeted right before the game that I would be shocked if he pitched well. I think my exact tweet was a smart-ass comment along the lines of, he's not going to go out there and paint the Mona Lisa. Well, it turns out he doesn't have to go out there and paint the Mona Lisa because the Los Angeles Dodgers offense has come alive with a grand slam plus about five other runs to make it 9-1. to one. It was Jose Quintana only went two innings. He started the third, couldn't get out of it. He loaded the bases before they pulled him, and at that point, the Dodgers had scored already three runs, and then Hector Rondon came in from the bullpen, which I sadly predicted that he would give up a grand slam because I've watched a lot of Cubs baseball this season, and he gave up a grand slam. It was like clockwork. So, you know, they say a clock's wrong twice a day. Well, Hector Rondon's wrong every time he comes into a game. So, (laughs) figure that one out. I don't know. This game's not looking good. The Cubs have one run on two hits, and the whole Cubs offense has struggled the entire postseason. It's all they can do to score anything over three runs, with the lone exception of Game 5 of the NLDS when they somehow managed to get nine runs to clinch that series and make it to the NLCS. But otherwise, this is an offense that's struggled throughout. They'll be lucky to get nine hits in a game, let alone nine runs. And that's kind of been the Cubs' downfall in the postseason as their offense has just been sleeping Tonight, you know, the starting pitching didn't do so good because Quintana couldn't really get out of the third, couldn't get an out in the third, but the starting pitching's been phenomenal. The bullpen has always been suspect. One of the main guys they got at the trade deadline was Justin Wilson, who's been useless in the regular season and wasn't even on the NLCS roster. But as it sits right now, it looks like the Los Angeles Dodgers, Chris Taylor, Yasiel Puig, Justin Turner, this stud of an offense with names you've never heard of, including... Great starting pitching. Whether it's the best starting pitching in baseball, we'll get into in about two minutes. But this is a team that's going to be hard to beat in the World Series. Whether the Astros or the Yankees get there, you've got an offense from top to bottom that's similar to what the Astros bring. And when I say what the Astros bring, I mean you have a team in both the Astros and the Dodgers where one through eight, well, one through nine on the the Astros, one through eight on the Dodgers, have guys that they bring to the plate from top to bottom that can put the ball in play. And really put, you know, really put the pitching in a bind because they bring the offense to the table and they're good hitters, they're smart, they're intelligent, they can take their pitches, they'll put the ball in play, they'll do what they gotta do, and they're just they're good at the plate. So but whether their starting pitching is the best in baseball, I don't know. At worst the Dodgers starting pitching a second in all of baseball, and that's a pretty good spot to be in. Which brings me to the New York Yankees, the New York Yankees. They've. I remember during the regular season where you thought the Yankees weren't going to make the playoffs. Like They played really bad after the All-Star break. That was around when Aaron Judge was slumping. And this was a team that had a lot of question marks with like Masahiro Tanaka going out and giving up seven runs. Big Mike, Michael Pineda, got injured. The bull, There were some bullpen questions because Aroldis was hurt. His fastball really flattened out like a wee-wee fin pancake. And people were hitting 102 out of the park on Chapman. And now Chapman looks unhittable because he's got a breaking ball now that he can control. 
So good luck going up there to face that guy because he can throw 103 and then he can throw like 85. And it's just, it's really just not fair. But of course, at the trade deadline, the Yankees picked up David Robertson and then also Tommy Canely, who's the meanest person in all of baseball. And that's a guy that you have to face on the mound. There's no doubt that the New York Yankees have the best bullpen in all of baseball. But the New York Yankees are a team that somehow had a lot of setbacks at one point and now to me at least, the Yankees look like the strongest team in the postseason right now as it stands. The Yankees, they have to be the most complete postseason team because look at if you look at the New York Yankees right now, look at their starting pitching and what it's done to the Astros' offense, which during the regular season led in a lot of different categories, including on-base, batting average, doubles, runs, batting average, those guys can hit the ball, and realistically, from 1 to 9, there's not a better team in baseball than what the Houston Astros have. I think Marwin Gonzalez bats ninth, or at least 8th, for the Houston Astros. He had 25 home runs this year, and he throws from left field at 100 miles an hour. They're deep. I mean, they're like 1992 dream team deep, right? They're really good. And the New York Yankees pitching... They're stifling the Houston Astros right now. The Houston Astros are probably betting 200. Look at this. The two games that the Houston Astros won in this series, they scored two runs. Then when game three came about, they only scored one run because the Yankees beat them 8-1 that game. And then game four was the comeback game that the Yankees had that four-run inning and won that game 6-4. to four. And then last night with Keiko pitching, they shut they shut the Astros out. So this starting pitching is performing. They're legendary. They're 96 Braves legendary. They're what we thought the Cleveland Indians would be legendary. They're that good right now. And just to give a shout-out to Jose... Jose, I know you're listening to this. I hope you're listening to this. I work with Jose. He's a he's an all-time Yankees fan. He's an all-time baseball fan, to be honest with you. I literally waste half of my workday, waste half of my workday talking baseball with this guy. I never hit a deadline because we're talking baseball. A couple podcast episodes ago, I did say that the Cleveland Indians were the best team in baseball, and we're going to go through to the World Series. And I deeply, Jose, owe you an apology. I'm wrong. I'm bad at predicting sports. And the Yankees are really good. I mean, they're really good. So we have went over the starting pitching, but you can also look at their offense, right? And we know guys like Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez, but during this postseason, you have guys like Greg Bird making moves and hitting the ball. Chase Headley putting the ball in play. Todd Frazier, the best thing that's happened to this clubhouse all season long. He's so energetic. This is a guy that is like a 12-year-old. Got to go on the field at Yankee Stadium, stand next to Derek Jeter during the National Anthem. There's nobody that loves baseball more than what Todd Frazier does right now. And it is fun to watch him play into what he does to the clubhouse. Gary, the Mets fan, thumbs down. Yeah, Todd Frazier is doing it all day. That's, they're the funnest clubhouse right now. They're the, what the Cubs were last year. That's what the Yankees are this year. They're having fun in the clubhouse. They're loose. They're playing good ball. And that offense, it's dangerous from top to bottom. It really is. It really is. But then, of course, throw out the bullpen. You've got a guy like David Robertson who he can come in with the bases loaded and no out or just come in in a clean inning. Same mentality. He's tough. He's strong. He's mentally strong. He doesn't let the situation or the inning or the stage get to him. Aroldis Chapman, who's found his fastball and has found his breaking ball. Tommy Canely, the meanest guy, probably meaner than Max Scherzer, 
the take the bump 60 feet 6 inches away from where you're standing at, my friend. And then you got guys like Adam Warren that can go to Chad Green, phenomenal pitcher. I hope the Dodgers look like right now your bottom of the fifth two outs. Dodgers are up still 9-1. Looks like the Dodgers are probably going to win the World Series because the Cubs couldn't score nine. Actually, I don't know if the Cubs have scored nine runs this whole entire series. I bet they haven't, but I'm not going to do the math. So if the Dodgers make it, I hope we see a Yankees-Dodgers World Series. I know I don't have anyone in L.A. that listens to this podcast. I do not want the Dodgers to win the World Series. But, you know, I think the Yankees might make it there. But it's just a real... The Yankees are a fun team to watch. And, you know, I caught some flack online from a lot of my relatives and in-laws who are all from Long Island by saying that the New York Yankees were an evil empire. But let's be honest, they were an evil empire. Nobody wanted to watch the Yankees win or play baseball. But they've got this young crop of talent that's really come through this season. And this is a team that has a legitimate shot at winning the World Series well ahead of schedule of what they should be. I mean, just two years ago in 2015, they were a wildcard team that got shut down by the Houston Astros. Couldn't even match them. I don't think anyone took that team seriously. That was a team that had to boot A-Rod off because he was a dead bat in the lineup. Last year, there were still a lot of question marks, and this year, everything lined up. And they're getting better as the season goes on. They're like an oak tree or a fine wine or whiskey. They're getting better as the year goes. They're not getting tired at all. But that's a good thing. You are listening to the Greatest Show on Dirt podcast. Again, thank you for tuning in to the Greatest Show on Dirt. Chances are you're a family member or friend of mine that I've begged to listen to the podcast. But if you're neither of those, or if you are one of those, thank you again for listening. Back to the Yankees. We've got game six coming up tomorrow in Houston. So we're back at Minute Maid Park. First two games of the series were played in Minute Maid Park. And then... The, uh, both the teams, the Yankees and the Astros, drove up north and played at Yankee Stadium. So in Game 6, we're going to have Justin Verlander against Luis Severino. A couple things to explore here would be what the, the biggest question I think coming into this is what the Yankees are going to do outside of Yankee Stadium. So Game 1 and Game 2, the Yankees only scored one run. And then the offense really opened up Games 3, 4, and 5. And the pitching also felt really comfortable. This is a team, the Yankees, who play significantly better in their home stadium than what they do not in Yankee Stadium. The offense performs much better. And the pitching performs much better. Most recently of which we saw in Masahiro Tanaka, who well, really had a has a good two games against the Houston Astros. But if you look at his home road splits, Tanaka's are very much doubled where he runs about a three ERA at home, but about double that on the road. So that's where you get the big question marks here. So, But your series is a much different series when you're facing pitching for the second time. So, of course, the Yankees have already seen Justin Verlander once, nine full innings at 124 pitches. He gave up one run and whiffed 13 of those guys. So my question here is, what's this game look like going into game six? Because both teams have seen the other pitcher. So your first inclination is, if you're a Yankees fan, you want to say, oh, the Yankees have seen Verlander once, so we're looking good. But you can never forget the powerful offense that the Astros have. They've seen Luis Severino once, who is vulnerable on a big stage. So first question is, how do the Yankees fare in this situation? Well, my thoughts on this are, one, the Yankees got past Keiko. Whether that was at home or not, they did it. Now, Keiko is a guy that allowed seven runs in his first 57 and two-thirds innings against the New York Yankees. That's seven runs in 52 innings. That's 
he had an ERA of like .7. I don't know what that average is out of. I don't have a calculator in front of me. But now the Yankees made their adjustments, and they got four runs in four and two-thirds innings. That's a pretty big deal no matter what park you're playing in. So we know with the New York, New York Yankees, this is a team that can make adjustments. And that's huge. So when they face Verlander, they've seen Verlander once. They saw him at Minute Maid. They're going to see him at Minute Maid again. They're going to be away. So we know this is an offense that is vulnerable on the road. But at the same time, they can make adjustments. So who do I give the advantage to? Verlander or the Yankees? I give the advantage to the New York Yankees in Game 6. Because one, they've seen Verlander once. But two, the momentum is by far in favor of the New York Yankees, right? So if you go into this game six right now, if the Yankees score first, the Astros are feeling the pressure. You've got to believe they're feeling the pressure. But if the Astros score once, the Yankees know they're still good because that momentum is so much swinging in their way because they're hitting the ball well and their pitching's going well. So this is an offense that knows they can rely on their pitching, but not just rely on their pitching, but also their starters and also their relievers. But then flip that coin the other way, and you've got Verlander, who's got this, this huge amount of postseason experience, and that cannot be underplayed in a situation like this. With one, you got a young Yankees team. Two, you got a 23-year-old Yankees pitcher on the mound who can really speed up his game, and it can cause him to flounder a little bit, and he's going to give up some pitches, leave something in the zone, and give up some runs. The good thing is they can fall back on the bullpen, and there's a lot of confident guys in the bullpen, right? So that's kind of what you're – that's really what you're looking at there. My pick for game six, it's a tough one because we also have to talk about what the Houston Astros bring to the table, and they've seen Luis Severino once, and they're also at the home park. My prediction, this goes seven games. I believe it goes seven games. My also prediction is the Yankees win the series. I think that's the case. I don't know if I've just jinxed every Yankees fan in the world. If anyone's listening to this, it's a huge Yankees fan. Because anything I ever guess on sports is basically the opposite. But I do. I think you're going to get a Yankees team that's going to come out. If they don't win Game 6, it's going to be close. I think they'll take Game 7. I think they're going to march on to L.A. and they're going to do this thing. So that's kind of my prediction with that. But it's... Ah, those Yankees-Astro games are good. What was the game a couple days ago, which would have been game four, to where in the eighth inning, which I'm a Cubs fan, so I'm all too familiar with eighth inning rallies, hashtag 2003, hashtag Marlins, hashtag I'm getting drunk. Um, they scored four runs in the eighth inning, took a 6-4 lead, and rolled as Chapman came out through 10 pitches, eight strikes, two strikeouts, and got out of the inning perfect. I think the Yankees are really your most dangerous team in this playoff situation. And if you see a Yankees-Dodgers World Series, which definitely the Dodgers are going to make it, and it's likely that the Yankees can make it, it's a possibility, you're going to see a good seven games. I think you'll see a World Series go seven games if that happens. A little bit of baseball news outside the playoffs. Again, thank you for listening to The Greatest Show on Dirt in Safeco Field. As it turns out, things were untoo safe. Ken Griffey Jr. has a statue outside the field of his beautiful swing that produced 630 home runs. A fan stole. We assume he's a fan. We also assume he's a big Ken Griffey Jr. fan because he's also a felon now. He stole the bat off the statue 
King Griffey Jr.'s outside of Safeco Field. The Seattle Police Department said the bat has been recovered and a man has been charged with malicious, with malicious theft, which is a felony, my friends. On top of that, mad props to the guy that stole it. He did it at 5 p.m. on a Tuesday. It turns out happy hour started a little early from him for him. Number one draft pick, I guess the bat has been recovered. So Seattle's number one draft pick will get his baseball bat back. And one loving Seattle fan is going to be a felon now, which is a little crazy because to me, he's just a fan. And baseball, my friends, needs every fan they can get. I say they let this guy off, right? If I'm the Seattle Mariners and I'm running safe Field and I'm running my team, I look the guy in the face. I let him apologize to me. He's going to tell me how great of a baseball player King Griffey Jr. is. And I, if I'm the Mariners, I drop all charges against this man. He stole a baseball bat of, in my opinion, he's at least one of the top three greatest baseball players to ever live, Ken Griffey Jr. At least. Beautiful swing, great fielder. You knew he was all natural like the grass in your front yard. I'm telling you, the kid's good. The kid's good. I drop charges against him. And take a few pictures with him. I mean, he stole a baseball bat. You got it back. Have some fun. Sweep it under the rug. And chalk it up to you had one of the best baseball players ever playing for your team. Other baseball news. Some idiot scout decided he wanted to put his World Series ring from the 2016 Chicago Cubs. We haven't won since, you know, around the time when telephones didn't exist. You know, the Cubs didn't win in 108 years. They weren't doing sliced bread at that time. And it was also probably like the Green Acres method of I've got to climb up a telephone pole to make a phone call. Well, this jackaloon decided he wanted to sell his ring on Leland's and make about $30,000. But Chicago covered their steps and they put in the contract. If you had the ring, you couldn't sell it. So apparently the Cubs got the ring back. I think the Cubs could buy the ring back for a dollar. They had a contract to where really it locked down where people couldn't sell the ring. This to me... Stems from Chicago and the Cubs giving a World Series ring to every Tom, Dick, and Harry that they could think of. But they did lock it tight with the contract, so that's a good thing, too. I just, who does this? Like, what kind of person are you? This is a person that worked in baseball that sold a World Series ring, which is completely crazy. It's sacrilegious. The guy should burn. I can't believe he's done it. But anyway, the ring's been pulled from Leland's. The ring was not authorized for sale per the contract with Associates. The 214 diamond ring that ended the 118-year drought was checked for authenticity. It was indeed authentic, and the scout's name was not released. And last but not least, on the non-postseason baseball news of today, a fan, Game 2 of the World, excuse me, Game 2 of the NLCS, Cubs aren't making the World Series, Justin Turner hit a walk-off three-run homer off John, I give up home runs all year. 36 was the total, and it was more than anybody in all of baseball. Lackey, a guy caught that baseball that Justin Turner hit off Lackey in game two. But then the crazy thing is, on Wednesday night, he proceeded to catch Javi Baez's home run. This is a guy that caught two home runs in the same series in two completely different states from players that played on two different teams. This guy's literally greater than the Nacho guy that had the Nacho spilled all over him in St. Louis by Addison Russell that became a star overnight. I mean, I even followed the guy on Twitter. This guy caught two baseballs. I'm still kind of a newbie at this ball hawking stuff, the retired policeman told the Associated Press in a phone interview from Chicago. The only thing that's lightning strike-ish about this is that it's 
two and four days, which indeed it was. The guy is from Southern California. His name's Keith Hupp, and apparently he is a natural ball hawker. I've been to a baseball game. I caught one foul ball during a minor league game, and that's all I ever did. But this guy's living the dream right now, going to postseason games across the country. He's got a better job than I do. Cheers to you, my friend. This is The Greatest Show on Dirt. We'll close up the episode tonight. I wanted to get something up live that kind of went over everything, as it still turns out now. The Dodgers are winning. Top of the seventh, two outs. Dodgers are up. It's a 9-1 game. Looks like the Dodgers are going to make the World Series. My prediction is the Yankees to make it again. Again, thank you for everybody that's listened to the show today. Our secret word for the day, if you are listening to the show and you decide to comment on it or click on it while you're at work, while you're on your way to work, whatever you're doing, waste time with us because we love you. We love to talk baseball. My friend Rick Staple, good friend, he posted the other day a real genius idea. So our secret keyword, our secret word for the show is barbecue and peanut butter sandwich. That's all you got to say. It lets me know that you love me because I love you. Greatest show on dirt, Thursday, October 19th. This is Quentin, and we will talk to you soon.